father was just silent most of the time. He was not communicative. I grew up thinking, you know, my father was like ashamed of his family. That was that was my entire picture of, of masculinity. Did you have to deal with that? So my father leaves when I'm two. And I don't meet him until I'm 10 years old when he comes to visit for a month. I had no way to connect to the guy. You know, the guy's, he's a stranger who's suddenly in our house. On the surface, Bruce and I don't have a lot in common. He's a white guy from a small town in Jersey. I'm a black guy of mixed race, born in Hawaii. He's a rock and roll icon. I'm not as cool. I was trying to remember the first time we actually met. Probably was in 2008 during the campaign. You came, was it in Michigan or Ohio? I have no recall. I... <laughs> in our own ways, Bruce and I have been on parallel journeys, looking for a way to connect our own individual searches for meaning, truth, and community with the larger story of America. And over the course of a few days, all just a few miles from where he grew up, we talked. It made sense if you're going to be a rock and roll star, you're going to play the guitar. Guitars were cheap. I could actually work a job, which I did. I saved up $18, bought a cheap guitar. Then I started to learn some Beatles stuff. I learned Twist and Shout. Did your folks say anything? Keep it down! <laughs> during these conversations was that we still share a fundamental belief in the American idea. Not as an act of nostalgia, but as a compass for the hard work that lies before us. This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Renegades, the new podcast on Spotify with Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. You can listen to all episodes exclusively on Spotify. Somewhere around 1.9 million years ago, something seemingly magical happened. Our earliest ancestors' brains got bigger and kept growing. Now, that may not seem fairly insignificant to us today. I mean, 2 million years ago is a long time. Brains getting bigger kind of dims in comparison to something like space travel or the latest model of an iPhone. But our earliest ancestors' brains growing meant one thing that we are here today talking about space travel and iPhones and electric cars and modern technology, not because of some divine intervention and not because some laid out plan that was set in stone for us to follow, but because of luck. The lucky coincidence that one of our earliest ancestors, a hominid with literally no features that could bear resemblance to us or modern cousins today, decided millions of years ago to crack open the bones of something that they killed and suck the marrow out that they decided so many millions of years ago to eat something and then sprinkle salt on it that had dried naturally on the shore. And in that one moment, that one time, that one chance in billions and billions and trillions of chances, our earliest ancestors ate something that made them smarter. 
They ate food and kept eating food and learning how to cook food. And the result was that their brains got bigger, grew faster, and grew smarter. And they grew bigger than other hominid species. And the craziest thing in the universe is that one creature, one single animal putting salt onto roasted bone marrow or fish or vegetables millions of years ago resulted in somehow me talking to you through a device that is connected to an internet cloud that doesn't exist physically. I am right now sitting at my kitchen table and recording this podcast like I do every single week and uploading it to the entire planet because on the off chance that something closely resembling a great ape seasoned their food before modern time began. If that doesn't blow your mind, there's not much else I could ever possibly say to you that could. Food can have a direct result on our brain function. It can have a direct result on how we think, how we feel, and how we live in the world. And so with that, I am very happy to say that this week on Let's Talk About Chef, it's all about brain food. I've said before on this show in a review of salt that the main reason that our brains grew is because we salted food. That food expanded our brains and set us apart from everything else. But it's fairly common knowledge that today, food that we eat has a direct effect on how our brains work. Ever since our brains grew, there are things that we can do to make them work better. Beets, for example, are one of the best things that you can eat. They are full of antioxidants and can also help to prevent cancer and will help your liver detoxify your blood. Beets help your brain to think clearly and increase your intention span. They also increase energy levels and help to boost athletic performance. And they were also staying the crap out of a wooden cutting board. Hipster brunch staple, the avocado, is extremely full of monosaturated fats that help control your blood sugar and are also full of vitamin K, which helps with brain function and memory. Broccoli is also full of vitamin K and dark chocolate increases blood to your brain, which improves all around cognitive function. It's become somewhat common knowledge that foods like those I just mentioned, or things like walnuts, berries, and turmeric, are quite possibly the best things that you can eat. Diets high in carbohydrates can lead to disease and Alzheimer's later in life, and we are truly still learning about the effects of modern fast food and prepackaged everything, and what that is going to mean for humanity's brain function in the future. Back in the day, like not too long ago, the idea of eating a complete breakfast in the morning would help your child be smart in school has seemingly turned out not to be true. Companies would like to say in their commercials that cereals like Special K made you smart, or Cheerios helped with heart disease. That's all lies. And only a handful of the things we actually 
eat do contribute to our brains getting smarter. There are literally hundreds of books like This Is Your Brain on Food that dive deep into the science behind brain function. And as the world has very quickly become obsessed with health and fitness and diet books like those, they've all sold in the millions because people want to believe that their avocado-filled dark chocolate and blueberry smoothie is going to somehow save their lives. And it may. But all of this information about what we should eat or how we should eat to make ourselves like Einstein are all missing one very big point to that argument. That point being that most geniuses, most people that are considered to be the smartest and most creative people to have ever existed, did not take care of themselves and did not eat well. In truth, the driving force behind most of history's greatest minds was coffee, cigarettes, and alcohol. Coffee is so prevalent in the diets of great minds that you have to consider if it's even possible to be a genius without drinking it. Ludwig von Beethoven began every single day with a cup of coffee that had exactly 60 beans in it, which he counted personally. 59 beans was too weak, and 61 was too much. The magic number of 60 was the right cocktail to make his brain function at its peak performance. Other composers were completely in love with coffee as well, like Johann Sebastian Bach, who wrote an entire opera about how much he loved coffee. It even had some lines in it like, If I cannot drink my bowl of coffee three times daily, then in my torment I will shrivel up like a piece of roast goat. Marcel Proust, who wrote the literary masterpiece In Search of Lost Time, started his days with two cups of strong black coffee and boiled milk, which he added caffeine tablets to. He also loved baked goods and always had croissants on hand and seemingly nothing else. Unsurprisingly, he only lived to the age of 50, and according to his maid, he lived on only beer and coffee for the last month he was alive. It should probably come as no surprise that great minds are attracted to alcohol. F. Scott Fitzgerald, author of The Great Gatsby, which still sells a million copies a year in North America alone, is quite possibly the best example of a literary alcoholic. He drank so much gin that when he was working in Los Angeles as a screenwriter, he would have his maid hide the dozens of gin bottles every week in a potato sack so that his neighbors wouldn't see how much booze he was consuming. Fitzgerald tried to quit drinking a few times, and he would drink up to 40 bottles of Coca-Cola a day to try and replace the need for booze, and he died at the age of 44. Another famous writer, Patricia High Smith, author of such books as The Talented Mr. Ripley, began her day with cigarettes and coffee, a donut, and a saucer of sugar. Later in life, she switched to just vodka in the morning, and when she did eat, she would only consume bacon, eggs, and cereal. French painter Toulouse-Lautrec drank constantly and never slept thanks to the sheer amount of absinthe he was consuming. He also died at the age of 36. Another French writer, Honor de Balzac, managed to live to the age of 51, despite drinking exactly 50 cups of coffee a day. But that much caffeine actually did pay off for him. His magnum opus and the thing he is most known for is a series of books and plays that is almost 100 volumes in length. His friend Victor Hugo, who wrote The Hunchback of Notre Dame and Les Miserables, started every day with coffee and two raw eggs. It seems that geniuses eat breakfast. Your mother may have been right, it is the most important meal of the day. Luminaries like Samuel Beckett started every day with scrambled eggs. Leo Tolstoy ate his hard-boiled, and painter Georgia O'Keeffe liked her eggs in a bowl with chili. It is a fact that most of the genius crowd eat breakfast. But not always just eggs. 
Charles Schultz of Peanuts fame ate pancakes every day, and composer George Gershwin had eggs, toast, and coffee. Mark Twain apparently was so in love with breakfast that he would have massive amounts of it every day, but no records or menus exist of what that may have been. Creative people also love sweets, like author Hawthorne, who wrote The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. He was obsessed with chocolate. And film director David Lynch, who for seven years straight would eat at Bob's Big Boy in California, where every single day, just after the lunch rush, he would get a chocolate shake and then chase that down with seven cups of coffee loaded with sugar. He credits this caffeine fever dream period in his life for coming up with some of his more insane ideas. Other filmmakers like Ignar Bergam also ate the same thing every day. His lunch of choice was whipped sour milk with strawberry jam and cornflakes. Author David Foster Wallace was obsessed with junk food. According to his biographer, Wallace tried to break his habit of eating donuts by switching to sugar-free jam instead. He was also addicted to Diet Pepsi and McDonald's. So, we know that creatives and geniuses like breakfast and alcohol and tobacco. That the idea of living a healthy lifestyle and eating foods that would help them with their brain power wasn't ever really in the cards. And now we get to the other things that geniuses consume to get them through the day. And I'm not talking about avocado toast. I'm talking about speed. Anne Rand was a very big user of Benzedrine. She used it fairly steadily for about 30 years every single day. Poet W.H. Auden took amphetamines every morning and needed to take a staggering amount of sedatives at night to try to get to sleep and shut his brain off. Another author, Graham Greene, who is sober now, used to be fond of taking speed so that he could write two books at the same time. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre took up a dozen tablets a day of an amphetamine called Coridrain. And genius mathematician Paul Erdos took up to 20 milligrams of Benzedrine a day to try and help him keep up with the formulas he kept creating in his head. One day, a friend was so worried about him that he challenged him to stop taking speed for a month, which he did. But his brain by that point was so used to speed being the reason he was able to work that he didn't do anything for the month. And when the 30 days were up, he told his friend that he was solely responsible for setting back mathematics by a month and promptly started taking speed again. Bizarre eating habits and geniuses seem to go hand in hand. Glenn Gould, the famous pianist, only ate one meal a day of scrambled egg, salad, toast, and juice. Then he would have sherbet and decaf coffee. He claimed that eating more than that made him feel guilty, and on days when he would record, he wouldn't eat anything at all, claiming it made his brain sharper. Louis Armstrong regularly drank glycerin mixed with honey for, and I quote, the pipes. He never ate before performing and afterwards would eat Chinese takeout. He smoked a ton of weed and would regularly take a laxative called Swiss Chris, which horrified his doctors. Pablo Picasso was in a chronic back mood for years, which his girlfriend claimed was due to his eating habits. Picasso would only eat water, milk, fish, rice pudding, and grapes, nothing else. Another famous painter, Francis Bacon, was the complete opposite, consuming multiple meals a day at restaurants, drank tons of booze, took a lot of drugs, drank wine, would drink heavily in the evening at pubs, and his metabolism only slowed later in life, so he had to stop doing all that so that he didn't die. And Nikola Tesla ate the same thing every evening at the Waldorf Astoria in New York by himself. Every evening he would call ahead and request that 18 linen napkins be stacked on his table at a certain time, and while he waited for his dinner, he would polish the silver cutlery on the table. Once the waiter had delivered the food, Tesla would then calculate the cubic contents of each dish before he would eat it. 
which he claimed made the food more enjoyable. You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you on that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman Despite my personal beliefs about it, vegetarianism is another diet that seems to be very popular amongst the greatest geniuses of all time, like Albert Einstein, who became a vegetarian later in life. But Benjamin Franklin, Steve Jobs, Sir Isaac Newton, Leonardo da Vinci, and even Nikola Tesla all were vegetarian. Steve Jobs was so against eating meat that he would constantly eat carrots so much that he would turn orange and spent the entire year that Apple Incorporated in 1977 eating an all-fruit diet. He was also a fan of spending an entire week eating only one type of food, like smoothies, or even one week only apples. In the end, the only real answer to diets is that they are intensely personal to each and every one of us. The thought that a diet exists that can feed and sustain and really be good for a mass amount of people is kind of silly. We're all different. Author Michael Pollan famously wrote, Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And it turns out that that advice may be the best advice there is for the 99.99999% of us who are not geniuses, but want to live somewhat healthy lives. There was a study done at Yale called, Can We Say Which Diet Is Best For Health? And in that study, scientists compared every diet they could find, like paleo, keto, vegan, vegetarian, Mediterranean, Atkins, and on and on. And their conclusion was that no single diet or type of food is better than anything else. Essentially, what they came up with was, don't eat processed food and maybe eat more vegetables. So really, the only thing that can be chalked up to the idea of brain food is that to be smarter, you have to eat things like walnuts and dark chocolate and avocados, ignore stupid diet trends unless you're a genius, in which case you're probably going to drink a lot of coffee, have really weird eating habits, and probably drink and smoke too much and quite possibly take speed. Or other horrendous drugs. Most artists are, you know, addicted to a lot of things. I think I need to eat more chocolate. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I want to thank the podcast Renegades with Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama for letting me talk about them this week. As always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service and have a great week. <laughs>